Hi, Bella. Hi, Irina. Welcome back to the studio. Thank you, thank you. How you doing? Good. Do we want to touch base on the mistake that happened last episode? Uh, we do, and it's it's funny. Nobody said anything yet, so I don't know if anybody caught it, but I caught it, or actually you caught it, and then you told me about it. But I've listened to the to what we recorded a few times, and then I listened to the episode, and then until you called me and told me what the mistake was, I didn't know what it was. So. What the mistake was uh, in the episode, in the previous episode on period and breaking the stigma of menstruation and period, we talk about birth control and Isabella asked me if I use any and we start talking about IUD, which I do have. And she asked me if, which kind I have and she said, is it Moderna? And I said, yes, it's Moderna. Not realizing that Moderna is COVID vaccine, which I also have, but not in my hoo-ha. <laughs> there I have Morena. So we just wanted to clear that up because, because they didn't catch my eye until, until Isabella pointed that out. So thanks for catching my mistake. I wanted to read a story relating to our last episode about um, periods of menstruation that somebody shared with me. So this is what they said. I feel like there is such a lack of education for young women. I started birth control in high school because that's what was normal and then didn't have a full period for six plus years. I was literally in my mid-twenties before I started to truly learn about my cycle and that there was only five to seven days per month that you can actually get pregnant. I'm wondering if others had similar experiences. I'm all for universal access to birth control, but also hoping that girls and young women are educated more on menstruation and women's health. And educating men would help too. This is such an interesting story because I am sure that there's that there are a lot of women that can relate. Like she said, I'm wondering if some if other can relate, and I'm sure because we also touched so much on how there was. And I think there still is lack of education in school on, on birth control, on sex ed and all of that. And in some states, it's not even. Yeah. And women not, aren't truly taught how many days a month they can get pregnant and they're just thrown on birth control. Here's some food for thought. Men can impregnate like hundreds, thousands of women in nine months where women can only get pregnant once in nine months. So why are women on birth control when men should be the ones on birth control? Because we carry the weight of the world. That's why. That is very true. With that being said, if you want to learn more about this topic, you can go listen to our other podcast episode number three. Today we have a special episode because we have a guest on. It's a first interview. And uh, I am especially very excited about this. And I wanted to introduce this fabulous guest. He is an amazing educator, a wonderful creator. He is an amazing father, husband, brother, and a son, and I am happy to be married to him. So please welcome Roy Lee Barnett, Jr. So, Roy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? Yeah, so Roy here. I grew up in North Tulsa, Oklahoma. So my family's been in Oklahoma since the 1800s when Andrew Jackson signed the Indian Removal Act. So I'm Afro-Indigenous, my tribe is Choctaw. And so my family has been in Oklahoma for a long time. And so I feel like Oklahoma is part of my blood and I'm definitely proud to be from there. 
How would you say being from Oklahoma shape you who you are today? And like I said, it absolutely shaped who I am. I think that having the heritage that I have and the way that I grew up, um, particularly in the South, really shaped how I view the world, how I see the world. Um, you know, my mama was an educator for over 42 years. Both my parents were artists. You know, music goes back in my family for generations as well. And so for me, being a creative is such a massive aspect of my life, and it always has been to the point that, you know, I don't do it because I want to. I absolutely have a need to create and do things. Um, you know, and, and it's always been that way. Other things, you know, being from the South, just that kind of, you know, Southern hospitality and being raised to treat people well, but also recognizing, you know, the racism of the South, but it's important to note that people think that just the South is racist, but in reality, the North is just as racist um, in, in a lot of regards, and in some cases, a lot worse. But I definitely think that all of those things had and continue to have such a massive impact on who I am as a person. So I know you mentioned um, that things are very different from the North and the South. What are some of the biggest differences you've noticed um, from living in Oklahoma to now living in Colorado? You know, honestly, um, and I think it's important to particularly now always be honest and live your truth. And to be quite mm -hmm. blunt, I don't particularly care for um, how people are here. You know, when I first moved here, you know, you tell people you're living in Colorado and they're like, you know, all people there are so nice, but that's not been my experience. Um, and of course, that's not always going to be the case. I've met some phenomenal people here, mm -hmm. but generally, and I think partially COVID exacerbated, exacerbated, excuse me. Um, but I think COVID really made all of these things worse because social interaction is like any kind of muscle or training. And so I think a lot of people have that, that interaction between people has really atrophied. And, mm -hmm. you know, we went to Oklahoma a couple of weeks ago and it just feels good to be back in a place, where, you know, simple things like holding the door for somebody, saying hello, thank you, those kind of things. Whereas here, it just feels like it's just so centered in the me-isms that it just is quite bothersome to me. Do you have any stories of a time in Colorado where you thought people were going to be nicer and then they turned out not the way you were expecting? Yeah, so I moved here in 2009 for grad school, and, you know, I've been lucky that I've been able to travel to different places, you know, studied abroad in Japan and, and whatnot. And just generally, you know, my experience has been, even if I don't know another person's language, we're, we're breaking bread somewhere, you know what I'm saying? So like, mm -hmm. that's kind of been my experience. And so when I first moved here, it was such a weird feeling. I couldn't put my finger on it, but it was like, why is it so hard to just break bread with people, to make friends and meet people? And um, since then I've learned that that's kind of, and in some circles it's hard to 
to break in because people are very cliquish, can be. And again, this is when I first moved here, being younger and whatnot. I think that as you get older, you know, you really settle down in who you are and what matters to you. And like those things don't matter to me anymore. You know, I have my I have my friends and you know what I'm saying? And so like that's what's important. Like one of my really good friends was probably her and her um, now ex-husband were the first two people that I met and we're, we're still really good friends. And so, you know, I can't say that, you know, everybody here is, is that way. And again, lots of people are moving here, but I want to point out that people will often say, you know, it's the transplants, it's the people that are moving here. And it's, and it's just not that case. Um, some of them suck, but some of the people that call themselves natives here suck, which as a, an indigenous person is problematic to me when I see these people having, you know, native stickers on and they're the furthest thing from, you know, the natives of this land. And okay. so I think that, you know, it, it's just a weird kind of weird kind of thing to me. Roy, can you talk a little bit about moving to Japan and specifically what drew you to to move to Japan and and just why you have such a love for for that country and that culture? Yeah, you know, people always ask me that question and I don't necessarily have an answer, but since I was, you know, a little kid, I've always just been fascinated by, by Japan. Um, literally, I think that watching, because I used to love, you know, PBS and watched Reading Rainbow and Sesame Street, and I remember LeVar Burton going to Japan or you know, Sesame Street, Big Bird goes to Japan. So seeing those things, I think, had an influence on me um, in elementary school. I don't remember why, but we had these Japanese visitors come. And just those kind of things, I just think, just left such a huge impact on me that I always wanted to go. And so when I got into Oklahoma State University, um, one of the first things I did is go down to the study abroad office. And I eventually became... I was down there almost every day and became really good friends with the people that worked there and the uh, director of the department. Um, actually, one of the workers that used to work there, I'm still really good friends with, but that's where I met him at. And it took me three years of going down there to finally, like, you know, muster up the strength because, you know, I'd never been on an airplane before, never really, really outside of band trips traveled outside of Oklahoma. And so I just said, you know, one day, just let me, let me fill this stuff out and see what happens. And got accepted and it was kind of, you know, shocking at first. Like literally my very first airplane ride was to go to Japan. So from Tulsa to LA, from LA to Osaka, Japan. And so it was a uh, just, I was lucky in the sense that not many people get to experience or live a dream that they have. And so mm -hmm. to this day, you know, I realize and understand how lucky I am. Um, but the culture and the place is just, it really changed the trajectory of my life. So I know for a fact I wouldn't be in Colorado. Um, I wouldn't be doing the things that I'm doing now had I not gone to Japan. Before I ask you the next question, you know what I just realized? That you and I have that thing in common to where it was a first flight in our late 20s or in our early 20s to where you went to Japan and I came to US. Mm -hmm. Did you know that? Uh, no. Or maybe I didn't just forgot. 
So hashtag we are um, learning some new things in this episode. Hashtag meant to be. Hashtag meant to be. Like I don't even I don't even know how old you are when you were born. That's what marriage is about. Right. <laughs> anyway, uh, going back to Japan. I'm kidding. Can you tell me how specifically what le- lessons you learned from Japan and also how did Japan shape you as an artist and creative? Um, so Japan is just one of the most beautiful places on the earth. Um, and something that's really great about it is literally every season has a festival for it. And it's just such an amazing thing to see, you know, the, that connection to nature and just the different aspects of that. Um, so this was back in 0304, so I didn't even have a digital camera. But, you know, I've, I've always taken pictures. Um, you know, I can remember being a little kid and going with my mama to like a thrift store and looking at the little little zoom cameras or whatever. But I'd never, you know, really considered myself a photographer. It's like everybody, you take pictures. But when I was in Japan, you know, we would I would go to this giant electronic store called Yorobashi Camera in Umeda, which is in kind of like downtown Osaka, if you think about it that way. And on one aisle at the very top, one of the top floors, was all of the Kodak film you could imagine, and the other aisle was all the Fuji film. And I was just like a kid in a candy store and would just like, you know, pick all the different films, not knowing what they were and just experimenting. And so in that regard, like Japan turned me into a photographer because it really made me want to understand, you know, taking pictures and and whatnot. Um, Like I said, I've always been an artist been a musician forever, writer, you know, all those kind of things. And so Japan really opened up that aspect of me. He's definitely a photographer. Every time I come over, he has a camera in his hand and he's taking pictures of taking pictures, he's taking videos. Videos. Didn't you say your cousin gets nervous sometimes? (laughs) Yeah, so when my cousin so my cousin used to live with us for a little bit and I remember her first like few days because we are so used to him having all this equipment around and just taking pictures and even the kids they are so used to it they don't even they don't pose they don't it's just you know yeah just he's, they just life. know that's what daddy does and so i was talking to my cousin and roy came and started you know taking pictures and again i i see him but i don't see necessarily just wh- what he's it. doing right and my cousin starts smiling and i'm looking at her kind of like what, why she's like doesn't it make you nervous that he's always taking I was like I don't even see that any, that he's taking pictures mm-hmm. of you or his video doesn't make you nervous and I said no because that's like that's what he always does um, Roy I wanted to go back to Japan a little bit more and just in comparison Japan and US and for you navigating world as a black man how where do you feel or where did you feel more comfortable in japan or in u.s um it's a complicated question however at the time and you know i sometimes will watch this youtube channel where it's this a uh, black dude living in asia and he'll interview you know blacks living in different parts of asia and i was like almost shocked that almost verbatim every single one of them said the same thing that I said in that for the very first time in my life, I felt free. And you don't realize that 
you're not free when you're raised here because it's just your norm. But when you go somewhere else where you can truly just be yourself and just be free, and you know, and, and it's weird to say that because you know, you're Japan is 99, 96%, something like that, Japanese, and so people see you, but it's not like here. Um, and so being in Japan was the first time that I was, I felt free and I didn't even really realize it until we went to, me and some friends went to Okinawa for a spring break. And you know, there's a lot of military bases down there. And it wasn't until I saw like American military people, you know, looking at you and whatever that I felt my American shield come back up. And I had let that down and I didn't even realize it, but I felt that and I was like, damn. Like I hadn't had to have that, you know, since I've been here. And so, cause you know, the international students, most of the people you meet are students and most of the people are, you know, pretty excited about being in Japan and everything. And so, and again, I don't want to say that, you know, people are perfect cause people are people. That's one of the biggest lessons I learned in Japan. You might have, it's like a recipe, you know what I'm saying? So like one recipe might call for more of a certain kind of spice one might call for less. And that's what I kind of figured culture to be like. And so in one place, people have more kindness or niceness or whatever. In another place, people might have something different. Um, but I just never, and you can't ever forget that taste of completely being free, completely feeling safe. And I think that was the biggest thing is nowhere in America, do you feel safe as a, a black man? Whereas in Japan, I never felt in danger from, you know, the police or anybody at all in general. Are you, do you feel comfortable sharing experiences or experience that from U.S. to where there was a time where you didn't feel safe? I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, I think one of my first experiences with police brutality. So, and again, I love being from Tulsa, but that doesn't mean that you love everything about a place. So, like, one of my first experiences with, like, police brutality is I always just remember it. And, you know, I was talking to my mom a couple of years ago, and she had um, pointed out some things about it that I'd forgotten because, you know, I was maybe some, somewhere in elementary school. But we had just gotten a, a Lincoln Town car, this is the 80s, which, you know, it's a nice car. And so, you know, what they do in Tulsa is the, the police will follow you and until you make a mistake or just pull you over for whatever. And so they pulled us over. And, of course, you know, my mama saw him, so she stopped at a stop sign, and he came up and said she didn't stop. And they just had their, their shotguns out on us um, for something like a, a not stopping at a stop sign, as they said, but, again, looking for drugs, that kind of stuff. And so... I just remember being really, really scared. And again, you know, you're a little kid. And, but so like Tulsa's, you know, segregated. And so North Tulsa's where primarily blacks live. And I just always remember this like seeing the helicopters at night, hearing like police chasing people. And just like, I just remember one night they'd uh, chase somebody behind our house. And I just remember the cop and just how he was talking to the, to the dude and just cussing at him and just like, just awful, just violent, you know? Um, and so it's always kind of interesting to me when people talk about 
any aspect of hoodness in Colorado. And this is like, man, y'all don't, y'all don't even know. This is my, my son, Roy the Fifth. Hi. So when you say Roy the Fifth, does that mean how Daddy. many generations? Five. So he is the fifth. I'm actually the fourth. So yeah, um, and again, I'm in my 40s. And so how there was just a general disregard for for blacks as there continues to be, but especially as my daddy, his daddy, and his daddy's daddy. And so the numbering was incorrect. And so even though my daddy was a third, he was listed as nothing. So that's why legally I'm a junior, but in actuality I'm a fourth. And so with my son, I wanted to correct it. So he's Roy the fifth. So like I said, my family's been in Oklahoma for a very long time. And my son is the first Roy born outside of Oklahoma since the 1800s. Wonderful, a beautiful, handsome baby boy. Um, I wanted to go back to something that you said um, when it comes to police brutality being, and just for you being scared. Well, first of all, that just an awful for, for a kid to have to see your mom or your parents was with both of your mom and dad or just your mom in the car it was my mama me and my oldest sister so she was freaking out in the back too and it was just uh just one of those experiences you always kind of remember just awful to be like little kid seeing police coming putting their having their hands on their guns just ready to shoot for any any run move you make, and that what makes me so angry right now. Where the history mm -hmm. that they trying to do, that they trying to not to do, but they trying to rewrite and retell, and at the end of the day, try to make white people comfortable and say the most stupidest things that are coming out now of Florida and of a bunch of other states. I don't know. It just always just makes me really angry. But for you as an educator, Roy, um, and Roy is just an amazing educator, and I am lucky also to be um, not working, but I volunteer at his school and just to see how much student lo students love him and he's creating all these amazing programs. But as an educator, how, like, how do you feel about the state of education right now with all of this craziness that, that is coming out about rewriting the history? Um, on one hand, you could say that, you know, it's terrible, but the reality is it's always been terrible. Um, there's never been a moment in the history of a country where there's been an honest examination of its, of its past, of its past cruelty, of its past exploitation, none of those things. And so I don't ever want to it's funny because, you know, I, I talk a lot about, I'm very opinionated. Some people say like, you know, political, but I don't think it's political to want, you know, kids not to starve to death and everybody to be able to not just have their very basic needs met, but to, you know, enjoy being on this earth. And so even though, like I was doing a photo shoot the other day and they were kind of talking about like, you know, I feel bad about bringing kids into this earth. And I was like, you know, 
I don't feel that way. Um, it's going to be tough, but you have to raise soldiers and prepare for what it actually is, but those are the people that are going to change things. And so you have to point out and look at these things because if you don't know what the disease is, it's hard to, hard to tackle it. And I think one of the good things from COVID, from you know the George Floyd protests, is a lot of people, and by that I mean whites, were able to truly see what we have already known and always known. It's kind of like when Trump was elected, I was not surprised at all. And you ask a lot of you know black people, and it's just like, yeah, that's, I mean, yeah. And like so many people were just like shocked and it's like, where, where have you been? You know, we've been, we've been, this is what it's been since, you know, long before I was alive. Like you should hear some of the stories I've heard from my parents, my grandpa, like it's, it's like, where have you been? It's like, you know, people don't believe you until they see, you know, on camera, somebody being murdered, you know, by these people that who we pay their, their salaries through our taxes that are supposed to serve and protect. And that's the, and again, um, I don't want to say that all police or whatever, whatever, but it's kind of like, I don't have time to try to figure out if you're, if this snake is poisonous or not. Sometimes it's just like, I'm in survival mode, you know what I'm saying? So like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't trust you until I kind of have a reason to when it comes to those kind of things. I think what interesting you said that happened with Trump election and what happened when uh, George Floyd was murdered is that talking about white privilege, right? A lot of people, a lot of white people were surprised because we had the privilege not to see those things. We don't experience them. Mm-hmm. And and not necessarily not saying that, you know, all white people are racist, but some, you can be very liberal, very progressive, very all this and that and the other, but still you don't experience what people of color are experiencing. So that's that's the privilege that we have. And then, which, which people I think don't understand to where white privilege, with the privilege, it's not necessarily because you come in from rich family, right? White mm-hmm. privilege is that we look white and we have certain things to where you go and deal with police or deal with, with any law enforcement to where when I am stopped, I'm not scared for my life. I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh, man, I'm speeding. I might pay a ticket or whatever that may be. But as Roy said, you know, experience, and I, I know for a fact that is not the only experience he had to where he doesn't know if he's going to come out of that interaction. I just want to also point out and again to reiterate privilege has nothing to do with monies or financial it's not that's not mm-hmm. what people are talking about everybody goes through different things but privilege is simply the reason that you're going through something is not because of the color of your skin versus some of the things that we have to go through is because of the color of our skin that doesn't mean that you don't go through horrible things that doesn't mean you don't you know, it's poverty and, and whatever. And the reality is in our system of the United States, a lot of things are meant to separate us. And privilege is one of those things, you know, so. 
I know you talked about going to Japan and visiting places, and I know you've been to Ukraine as well, which is where Irina's from. How would you say um, your experience was in Ukraine? Um, you know, I would say that Irina and her family are great. They're fine. But outside of that, it is not very welcoming, I felt, to, to blacks. Um, <clears throat> and again, there can be different reasons for that, but at the same time, it's like, I'm not, I just think you get to a point in your life where you're like, you know, I'm not really interested in why you're racist. I just know that you are, and I ain't got time for that shit. And so the first time, and again, like everything, that's not everybody. There's some like dope people and, and, and shit like that. But you definitely, because as a black person, you're raised in a white supremacist environment. And so you see and recognize everything instantly. Like I know there were times when I would see things that Irina didn't know how to see at the time. So you are blinded, you know, whiteness is a certain kind of blindness. But for us, we have to always be aware. And again, if you, bring it back here to the different, you know, health issues in the black community. If you're under constant stress every single day, then of course you're going to have issues. Mm -hmm. Of course you're going to have high blood pressure and all these different things. Um, because you know, our stresses, our mental health aren't things that are taken seriously. If you look at the medical field, they literally, <clears throat> and doctors to this day still believe that, you know, blacks don't feel pain at the rate of whites. And so in like getting treatment is much more difficult for us because they don't believe us, you know, and those kind of things. And so being in Ukraine, it just, like to be honest, it's not my favorite place to be for myself mm -hmm. as far as feeling comfortable and, and welcomed. Um, it didn't, it doesn't feel as dangerous as here, but I definitely... You know, I recognize the neo-Nazi symbolism, the graffiti, and, like, the different neo-Nazi groups. And so that's a huge problem that I think Ukraine at some point is going to have to have a, a reckoning with. Um, particularly right now, just the amount of Nazis fighting, um, you know, in the, in the war with Russia. Mm -hmm. And it's also really interesting seeing how Western media tries to, you know, whitewash that aspect. You know, you got to look at things as they are in reality. You know, a lot of these these fighters that people are praising are just covered in that Nazi tattoos and Nazi regalia. And again, it's, of course, it's not everybody. The president of Ukraine is, is Jewish and so. But it's something that has to be recognized. Nationalism anywhere is not a good thing. Mm -hmm. Here, there, anywhere else. Something I want to add to that, you know, I am from Ukraine, obviously, and I'm very proud to be from Ukraine. Ukraine made me who I am. Um, but you, but it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. Ukraine is not perfect. And what, what Roy said is valid. They're, Ukraine is very wide country. Uh, everybody, majority of people look like me. And I mentioned in a first episode to where, you know, I didn't see anybody different than me until I actually came to U.S. 
but there is, you know, there is a lot of, um, there's a lot of racism here. I mean, well, here, yeah, but in Ukraine, but also I feel like when people from Eastern Europe move here, they bring that here with them. And even as immigrants, mm -hmm. people, who, people who come here as immigrants who are white, again, feel like that they have more rights to be here as even Roy, who is an American, or any other immigrant who comes from countries that, who come from countries, from countries in, in Africa and in Middle East who are black and brown. And I remember hearing this man once said, he was from either from Russia or Ukraine, I can't remember, and he said, I can't even go to Walmart because all this blacks walking around there. And I remember I got so mad and I said, what, like, I was like, you are here as an immigrant, right? Mm -hmm. You are here taking, taking advantage of all the privileges that some of Americans don't have. How dare you say that? Mm -hmm. You know, so, so again, it's, I love Ukraine. I always will love Ukraine, but it's just the fact that some people have that racism in them, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Kind of, um, sorry, go ahead. And even the, the ones that are quote unquote illegal immigrants somehow think that they are not and will point to the quote unquote illegal immigrants that are Hispanic or Mexican, which I should point out are actually the indigenous people of mm -hmm. this land. Um, so I think language is important. And so I don't refer to Mexicans as immigrants because how can you immigrate to a land that was stolen from you? Mm -hmm. No, I think that's a fascinating point. I remember I did a a trip to Arizona and we got to see the people migrating over and we referred them as migrants, which I think is a better term because, yeah, how can you be illegal on a land mm -hmm. that was rightfully yours? Um, but I know we were just talking and you said something about how in Ukraine you noticed things that Irina didn't notice because of, you know, who you are. Was there any specific moments in Ukraine where something happened that maybe Irina overlooked but you were aware of because you have to be? Oh, yeah. I remember the first time we took my daughter. She was like two or so. And just the looks. She was, she was nine months. Nine months. Oh, damn. Nine months. My, my timing and something that happens to you when – um, so my dad passed away in 2018, which you're never able, you don't, you don't recover from those things. And so my sense of time is gone. And so, you know, I logically, I know the exact date and year, but I, I don't. And so my time is, is gone now. But anyway, we were walking around with my daughter and just the constant looks and stare. And it's one thing, you know, you know how it, I know how to translate because as a black person, you have to be able to translate your environment mm -hmm. into danger or not. And so just the, it's one thing if people are looking at you, but it's how people are looking at you. And I just can never forget how they were looking at us and looking at my daughter and it made me want to just fight motherfuckers. So, um, so I think that was something that I really didn't see at first. But like I said, some people, you can just see, they're just looking, just trying to check you out. That's what, it, that's one thing, you know what I'm saying? But like the people that had like looks of disgust on their face, like, it's just something you don't you don't forget, and so. Mm -hmm. 
But I mean, our daughter is so cute. And I even remember at the, at the airport, do you remember at the airport when we were flying from New York to Ukraine, how people were also, because when you get to New York to Ukrainian airlines, it's just, mm -hmm. there might be one or two Americans because it's a straight flight to Ukraine. So even, yeah, people were giving us this look that, and I think I wanted to correct Roy a little bit. Um, so we went to Ukraine twice, once when we just got married, and then another time we went when we had a daughter. So I wasn't aware of things when we went for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I remember Roy would point out some graffitis that he saw with, you know, and words written and all of the other disgusting things. The second time I was much more aware, and I'm not saying I saw everything he did and all the looks and everything, mm -hmm. but the second time I was much more aware because, because, because I think because of a daughter. Yeah. Irina, I wanted to ask you, have you experienced any backlash from being in an interracial marriage from your Ukrainian community? Yeah, I did. So back when I moved to Denver before, before I knew Roy, I found Ukrainian community and I was spending a lot of time with them. And even when I was already with Roy, we would go to you know different events and I would help uh, to even plan some events. In the U.S., right? It, yeah, it's, it's in the U.S. here in Denver. There's Ukrainian uh, organization called Ukrainians of Colorado, which a lot of um, people are part of that organization, and they put a lot of events together. But um, I remember, so during COVID time, so then, yeah, during COVID time, when, when the murder of George Floyd happened, and, mm -hmm. and again, like Roy said, you know, because it was COVID, so everybody everybody was on their phone, right? And everybody mm -hmm. saw that horrific thing would happen. And I've always been very vocal and very vocal, I would say, on social media. I post a lot of things that maybe some people don't like, but I don't care about that. And I, we, I was posting a lot of things about and saying a lot of things about what was happening, about all of the protest. Mm -hmm. And I remember this woman, I'm not gonna say her name, uh, she tagged me I think that's what it's called on Facebook, right? You can tag somebody like somebody's name, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. She tagged me in this post, and I don't remember exactly what the post said, but she said some people blindfo blindfoldedly following um, Black Lives Matter protest and basically not knowing that is like, um, it was not like that is a terrorist organization, but you know, that they are all victims, right? Mm -hmm. And then she tagged me. So because, you know, it's COVID, so you don't really see anybody. So I wrote her back. I was like, please don't tag me in your racist post, something like that. So then she wrote back, and it's like all on Facebook, and it's not even like, you know, DM or private messages. It's all right there to see. Oh, in the comment section. In a co yeah, in the comment section. So mm -hmm. then she wrote back how she said, you used to be different, you used to be better, but now, oh, but now you've changed, you're following, you're following Black Lives Matter, and what are you gonna do? So we have two kids, right? Mm -hmm. And so she said, what are you gonna do um, when that, so she, I think she was saying it in Ukrainian, I can't remember, but basically she said, what are you, how are you gonna protect your white kids from those people, meaning black, I know what she meant, from those people when they come to take your kids away? So 
I don't like you can say Does what she I don't know that your she's 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 just racist. That's what she racists is. Racists aren't smart. Exactly. But what what you can say shit about me all mm-hmm. day and all night, but if you fucking touch my kids, I there is the animal that wakes mm-hmm. up inside of me. And I said I used to work with her and I've heard her say a lot of I'm not even a even gonna repeat here because she said very racist and horrible things and that's kind of how I started mm-hmm. distancing myself from her but I said I, I replied to that you know to that comment about you know mm-hmm. some somebody whoever is coming for my for my kids I said don't you ever talk about my kids and I said I've heard you say a lot of racist things but this is getting this is absolutely the most horrible thing that I've heard you say. Yeah. Because first of all, my kids are not white. My kids are mixed, mm-hmm. right? And you really have to be a really, really fucking horrible racist to see somebody being killed by the police for eight minutes or however long that eight and, yeah. you know, and for you to say that he, because she said a lot of things, she said that he deserved to die. Oh. If you as a human being, and I don't care who you vote for, what's your color of the skin, as a human, because at the end of the mm-hmm. day, we're all human. If you look at that and you say that was okay and he deserved to die, you are not a human to me. You are not a human. And again, mm-hmm. you, if you fucking touch my kids... I and you know luckily I haven't seen that woman since then and I don't want to see her because I don't want to be part of the part of I don't want to have nothing to do with her mm-hmm. and and it's still to this day it's been almost three years since she said that but every time I I, I talk about this it makes me so upset yeah did Roy ever go with you to any of these events Roy do you want to talk about that yeah I used to um, Did you ever feel uncomfortable? You, you know, you would have conversations with some people, and it's just like you know, you're having a conversation, you're fine, you're talking, and then they'll. It's just like this, almost like a, the a classic formula, where everything is cool. They think you're quote unquote one of the good ones just because you're. Ugh. talking to them and they're like then they'll bring up some racist shit and you're like oh fuck you you know go fuck yourself and you just move on and so like a lot of that kind of shit and it's just I don't feel bad about not associating with them at all mm-hmm. you know and again that's not to say because some of them were again dope people and some were dirt bags and that's you know just standard for everywhere mm-hmm. but yeah I'm and, you know, I have my internal struggles about that and always will because, you know, I'm a black man. And so, like, when Russia invaded Ukraine and everyone was trying to get out, you feel bad. But then you see, like, these Ukrainians pull in, like, the African and black and non-white people off the train or telling them to get to the back. And it's like, even in war, when y'all are trying to escape for your lives, you still have time to be racist. Like, goddamn. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So it's just like I have a conflicted relationship with the country mm-hmm. of my wife's birth. Yeah. Again, you 
both things can be true. I love Ukraine, and I have obviously very different relationship with Ukraine than my husband does. But again, as I get older, as I evolve through my marriage, I've learned so much about the world, about myself, about some of my things that I used to think. But, you know, again, as you evolve, as you learn, as you educate yourself, mm -hmm. you, you try to become a better human. I, I, I don't know, but it's a, yeah. And I think it's important to, like, one of the, something that racist dirtbags here will say is, like, you know, love it or leave it. But it's like, if my house is on fire, I'm not just going to go stay, you know, well, fuck it. I'm going to try to put it out. It's like, if you see something horrible in your home, you fix it. Mm -hmm. And so it's not love it or leave it. Like, you know, first off, this is my country. Like, my African ancestors have been here since the 1500s. My native indigenous ancestors have been here for thousands and thousands of years. Like, this is mine. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to try to fix it. So if I see something bad, if I see all this horribleness, I'm not going to leave. I'm fixing it. You know, and that's why I work in education. Like, you know, I think it's important. I think it's important that we are in service to humanity. And it's so funny to me how that ideal, that sentiment is seen as some like extremist political stance when it's just like, no, I'm basically doing the things that you claim to do. Like, mm -hmm. you know, in this, not the truth of the things like the Constitution, because the Constitution was signed on the backs of millions of enslaved people. So you can't have a freedom document when people are enslaved. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with the natives being, you know, as we know, their land stolen. But the spirit of the thing is that all people are equal and free. So I'm trying to live up to that. Same thing with the U.S. ideal of Christianity, like, you know, these people are claiming to be followers of Yeshua when they are doing the exact opposite. So literally, like, you know, I am going to always support oppressed people wherever they may be, whether it's here, whether it's Palestine, like, whether it's South Africa, like, wherever. And so to me, that is following that truth. So. And being a good human. Because, I, like I said, at the end of the day, we are a human race, and if we, and we should help each other. We should help each other. If you have a better platform, a better resources, help the one they don't. Mm -hmm. Help the one they don't, because it's, I don't know, I want a better world for my kids. Mm -hmm. and, and, and what Roy, you know, doing in, in, in education, what we all are trying to do is to make to make things better so the next generation don't have to go and fight and protest. Because when we look at any of the protests, either that's um, you know, Black Lives Matter or women protesting, right? We see this old 90, 90, 95-year-old women or old people, depending on what protests are you in, right? Saying, I thought I don't have to protest anymore and still here we are and still here we are. Yes, things change but yet they still the same and yet in some cases they are worse. Mm -hmm. So just be a good human, be a good human and help another person with whatever they don't have if you have more. What is that one quote where it's like, if some of us aren't free, then none of us are free? Then none of us are free. Yeah. 
<clears throat> I also want to say, like, and it's, it's hard to rationalize this. Um, blacks tend to understand. But in a way, Southern racism is easier, not the outright extreme, like physical danger stuff, but it's easier to navigate and feels better than this like liberal racism, the performative stuff. Because the Southern stuff, it, you know, it's in your face, you mm. navigate it. You might work with a dude that's racist, but y'all, you know, you know where both of you stand and you might even go to lunch together. It's just something, it's just different. Versus here, you know, it's these people, the paternalization, like the, I love the blacks and, you know, my, my kids are black and this and that. And it's like, I don't mean shit. And you especially see it in the schools here. Um, but the question is, you ask yourself, why is it so difficult to keep black educators? And a lot of it is that, you know, I have so much experience with like, you know, liberal saviors, white saviors, and just how bad that is for our black and brown kids and even poor white kids, you know, and so it's a, I don't want to ever make it seem like, you know, here's perfect and rainbows and shit. Cause you know, you can have all these houses with black lives matter signs and like, you know, in this house sign, meanwhile, you've pushed out all the black and brown people. And if anybody wants to provide housing for the quote unquote, undesirables, then you're the first one out there, you know, protesting because you don't want to drive down the market value of your houses when you were the ones that came into these previously black and brown communities mm -hmm. and took over everything. And again, like, of course, that I would much rather see that shit than like a Confederate flag. But it's just like, well, at least I know where that dude stands. But also fuck that dude, you know. And mm -hmm. so, like I said, it's just the complexities of living in this country that's why a lot of times you feel like you're you're crazy mm -hmm. but it's not accidental all this like gaslighting all this shit is like been planned out for a very long time well thank you so much for sharing that um i was wondering if you two had any advice for another interracial couple um i think it's so unique person by person i would just say that you marry who you marry, you fall in love with who you fall in love with, but don't ever diminish your own culture for that. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen like on various platforms, the social medias where, you know, a black dude will marry a white woman and say something disparaging about black women and, and why, and I only date, you know, white women. And that shit's like, disgusting to me because black women are the the mothers of all you know black women are responsible for this country for just about everything in the, in the world and so never ever disparage black women um and in the same token if somebody doesn't like your interracial marriage like i don't give a shit about that either like you know don't give a fuck about what somebody that's not part of you cares. You don't owe anybody any explanation. You marry who you marry, you create your family and your love with that person, 
and what somebody thinks of you is none of your business. But also another thing that I want to add, educate yourself on a culture, on the customs and tradition of the person you marry, because that's important to know, because you blending two families, and especially if you're not even from US, you blend in two different cultures. But even if you are from US, if you white and marrying somebody who is black or indigenous or Hispanic, you blend in two different cultures. So make sure that you, you educate yourself on that as well. All right, and last question. How did this love story start? Like I said, it's difficult to meet people in Denver. Denver is not a great place for singles, and so um, did the uh, online dating thing, and we met that way. We met on Match.com, and we fall in love instantly. No, she was, like, looking at me with a side eye the whole time. But we were sitting and talking for a while, and she eventually warmed up. But at first, <laughs> it was just like, damn. All right. <laughs> and we started, we became as friends, which is another advice I want to give to people who started dating. Become friends with somebody. And I am sure that online dating now is very different than what it was almost, what, 11 years ago. But become friends with somebody. Really get to know that person before you become, before you get into romantic relationship. Because that helps build the healthy foundation for your relationship and on that romantic note thank you Roy for being on the podcast and helping us thanks Bella for asking all these questions but more importantly thank you Roy for being on this podcast and sharing your stories and sharing your different experiences with us and also thank you for being our editor and engineer for free I know you love doing that right takes a lot of time i know um but it is it, it does take but it's fine just helping out supporting y'all where can what's your you are on social media so where people can follow you roy is an amazing photographer videographer educator creator he's so many things but where people can follow you you can uh, check out my website RoyLeeB.com, R-O-Y-L-E-E-B. Um, and on the Instagram, it is RoyLeeBPhoto. I'm on there. Social media is kind of stupid, but, you know, whatever. We will <laughs> provide his us. links in the description, too. You can follow us with the handle Moments That Define Us on Instagram, TikTok. Come here, you're doing this. And you can also write your story to our email, moments that define us at gmail.com. And on this note, thank you all for listening. Until next time, I'm Isabella. And I'm Irina. Bye, everyone. So cute.